Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I was in the center of Sao Paulo, the biggest city in Brazil, and I had some free time, so I crossed the road to a mall full of little shops that were selling all kinds of electronics, and my, my eye fell upon some rechargeable batteries. And they were amongst the best brand name that batteries uh, that you can buy, but they were about one-tenth the price of what it would cost in Canada. And the price made me a little skeptical. You see, in China, there's a whole industry of fakery. There are entire factories that are built to produce electronic goods, which, when you look at them, are almost impossible to distinguish from the real thing. And yet, these fake factories, they use low-quality materials and bad production techniques to produce their cheap lookalikes. So I asked the seller, I said, are these real or are these fake? Because a lot of this stuff gets shipped to Brazil. And I was somewhat surprised when they answered honestly and said, oh, they're fake. Now, if you're the owner of an electronics company and you have a name for producing top quality products, why would it be a problem for you if people are selling almost identical products which bear your name, but which are of inferior quality? Well, the problem is that some people might buy the knockoff product thinking they're buying the real thing. And then when those fake batteries lose their charge quickly or when they catch fire and ruin your expensive camera, then you're going to be upset with the company whose brand name is on these fake batteries. And if that happens a lot, that's going to give the company a bad name. In other words, it will give the company a bad reputation. People won't trust that name anymore. People will see it as a company which produces inferior products, and this will drag the company down. We know that a name is connected to a reputation. This goes for companies this goes also for people. And when it comes to God, his holy name is connected to who he is. It is connected to his reputation. And God is zealous for his name. He often does things in redemptive history for his name's sake. He is a faithful God, a good God, a saving God, a forgiving God, an all-powerful God. And often, God's people really deserve to be left in the misery that has come upon them because of their sin. They don't deserve his goodness. They don't deserve his forgiveness. They don't deserve rescue. But God forgives and rescues them anyway for the sake of his name. Hear how God speaks to his people in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 9. Isaiah 48, 9, where he says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. The people deserve to be cut off. The people deserve God's anger. But if God destroys his people in righteous anger, the surrounding nations will say, ah, 
Look at that God who is not able to save his people. Look at that God who is not able to keep his promises. And so God saves sinners, not in the first place for our sake, but in the first place for the glory and honor of his holy name. How painful it is that right after God brought his people out of Egypt, they sinned against him by worshiping the golden calf. You remember that God was ready to destroy the whole people. He was going to start over with Moses. And Moses pleads with God not to do this. And he says, Lord, what will the surrounding nations say? They will think that you're a God who can't save. You managed to bring them out of the land of slavery, and then you lost them to destruction in the desert. And so God relents from destroying a people who deserves destruction. He relents because of his name. Now, if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, God in Ezekiel 20 verse 13 refers to this scene in the desert. Ezekiel 20, 13. And he says, But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. Then I said, I would pour my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. And now look at verse 14. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Israel's sin was not only against the second commandment. When they made the golden calf, they certainly broke the second commandment. But they also broke the third commandment. See what Israel, or see what Aaron said to Israel in Exodus 32, verse 4. He said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he pointed at the golden calf and he said that. And then he follows that up with an astounding statement in the next verse. He says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. In other words, he is calling that hunk of metal by the name Yahweh. He is calling that inanimate hunk of metal which needs to be carried around, which cannot speak, which cannot hear, which cannot save, which cannot do anything. And he is calling that thing Yahweh. Now, the third commandment forbids us to commit such atrocities. Literally, the commandment says, you shall not lift up the name of Yahweh to vanity or emptiness, nothingness, worthlessness, falsehood. It's all bound up in that word there to lift up the name of Yahweh to worthlessness is to say God is worthless. And that is blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy, the penalty for profaning the name of God is death. When we read the Old Testament, we perceive how this is a horrible sin and how God visits it with horrible judgment. But a lot has happened since the exodus from Egypt. A lot has happened since the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. God was made man. The Lord Jesus Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. The name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God has made his name known to us in an even greater and more glorious way in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his person and his work. And yet today, so many lift up the name of God to worthlessness. They use the holy name of God as a cuss word. They text each other, OMG, as an exclamation. And they say it out loud, saying all the words when they're surprised by something. They take the name of the Lord Jesus and they mix it with foul and dirty swear words to express anger or irritation. And these are awful sins. And these sins incur awful judgment. God will judge every word which is spoken by every person at the last day. Now, before we think to ourselves, well, that's a, it's a good thing that I have nothing to do with that. Let's pay attention to what we confess here in Lord's Day 36. We confess from the scripture that we are not to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In the Old Testament law in Israel, whoever witnessed blasphemy but did not denounce the sin was declared under the judgment of God. Silence is complicit. Silence is consent. Imagine if you're chatting with somebody and suddenly they say in the conversation that your mother is a foul, disgusting word. And imagine you don't bat an eyelid, but you just keep chatting with them as if nothing is the matter. Your lack of objection means that you're fine. You're fine with that. You're fine with your mother being called that foul word. When we are interacting with unbelievers and they lift up God's name to worthlessness, they are saying God is worthless. And if we simply keep chatting with them and say nothing, then by our silence, we are saying God is worthless. And just in case we didn't catch that the first time, the catechism circles back to this and focuses specifically on this point in the next question and answer, question and answer 100. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can. Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Now, that makes it awkward when, we're in an, when we are in an environment where people swear like troopers. 
If you work in the army or on some construction sites, you may be obliged to work among people who swear a lot. Will God pour his anger on us for every blasphemy that is spoken in our hearing? No. Look at the end of the question 100 there. Look at those last words. We confess that God is angry with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can. Those are important words. The third commandment does not permit us to be silent when God's name is abused. We must speak up. But if we've asked a number of times, and if we've done our best to prevent this from happening, then we have honored his name. And if people refuse to stop blaspheming, then we can try to avoid being around them. Or we can break off the conversation every time they blaspheme. God will not hold us responsible for their sin. But God does expect us to do the best that we can to make it clear that this is not right and to ask people to stop. He expects us to do as much as we can. Well, what about when we're watching a great movie and suddenly there is this foul profaning of God's holy name? Well, maybe that's an indication that the movie isn't so great after all. Maybe it's not such a great choice for a child of God to watch. And maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, what is more important to me, my desire to be entertained or my desire to hallow the name of God? The third commandment can be translated, you shall not lift up the name of Yahweh to worthlessness. But that verb lift up can also be translated carry. And so the commandment can be also rendered, you shall not carry the name of Yahweh as worthlessness. Now God's people carried his name. God called them my people who are called by my name. The Aaronic priesthood was commanded by God to bless the people and so put his name upon the people. Now, when a great artist puts their name on a painting, that says something. That painting reflects something of the glory of its creator. A great artist will not want their name to be put on a cheap fake rip-off painting by an inferior artist. And the same goes for God's people. They're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be a holy nation, God's own people. They were supposed to reflect in this world the very character of God. Their very existence was supposed to declare God is good, God is holy, God is powerful to save. God is faithful. God is righteous. And when God's people chose to live in sin, they dragged the name of God through the mud. If you have your Bible handy, Ezekiel 36, verse 16. I'm going to read a, a fair chunk here. 
in Ezekiel 36, verse 16. That's page 724 if you have a pew Bible. And so this is what uh, God says through the prophet, Ezekiel 36, 16, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. For a child of God to live in sin is to make a mockery of God. To live in sin is to declare God is useless. God cannot save me from all the dominion of the devil and from slavery to sin. God cannot sanctify me. God cannot transform sinners into saints. Sin is strong and God is weak. When God punished his people with exile from the promised land, the nations around started laughing. Look at that pathetic bunch. They apparently have this great God who saves, but he couldn't even keep them in the land of promise. His plan of salvation is a total failure. He is not strong to save. And that's why God says, if you still have your Bible open there in Ezekiel 36, that's why God says in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And then he proceeds to promise Beautiful promises of forgiveness and restoration. And he promises to this unworthy group of sinners to bring them back home where they don't deserve to be. And he promises to, to baptize them and to cleanse them from their sins. And he promises to give them a new heart and to fill them with his spirit. That's what God promises to a sinful and undeserving people, people just like us. And what he promised, he did. And every one of us knows this because every one of us carries the name. Every one of us who is baptized, God has said to us, I love you. I cleanse you from all unrighteousness by the blood of Christ. I promise you a new heart. I promise you my indwelling spirit. God has stamped this gospel promise on your forehead. He has placed his name upon you. Now what happens when a covenant child receives these great promises and receives the glorious privilege of carrying the name of God? 
and then chooses to keep living a life of sin. What happens if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth? Now, we read Romans chapter 2. The apostle described people who know God's will, who talk a lot about it, but do not live it. They maybe fake it, but they don't really live it. And so they carry the name of God in worthlessness. And when a Christian is full of talk, but their life is enslaved to all kinds of passions and sins, then they are saying something to the world. They are saying, God is weak. God is useless. God is worthless. God cannot save. God does bad work. God makes bad products. And so, as we read there in Romans chapter 2, verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, how will God react to that? Well, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it talks about people who go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth. And it says that if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? and has outraged the spirit of grace. What is the apostle describing here? He is describing sin against the third commandment. He is describing people who carry the name of God as something worthless and useless and false and fake. And if you do that, you can't get away with it. The penalty is death, eternal death. And the apostle continues by saying, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To sin deliberately. To choose to live in sin is to trample underfoot the name of God, the name of Jesus. To trample underfoot the name of Jesus is to trample underfoot the Son of God himself. If God would leave us to ourselves, that's the only way we would be able to respond to the covenant promises. But God does not leave us to ourselves. When we constantly and with heartfelt longing ask God for his grace and Holy Spirit, he answers those prayers. Christian, you bear the name. It is right there in the word Christian, Christian. He has delivered you from the Egypt of sin. You are free from slavery to sin. 
You are free from slavery to idolatry. You are free from slavery to self-willed worship. And you are free from a life of blasphemy. You are the very temple of God. The Spirit of the Holy God lives in you. And in the power of the Spirit, we can use the name of, the, of God, the holy name of God, with fear and reverence. We can rightly confess Him. We can praise Him in all our words and works. Do you see those words there in the Catechism? In all our words and works. And that's simply an echo of what the Apostle says. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything. That means that every act, every thought, every word is worship. The most insignificant thing of your day has cosmic significance. Every detail of your life is an act of worship. Every single aspect of your life has written on it to the pots and pans in the kitchen. Every aspect of your life has written upon it, holy to the Lord. And every detail of your day is a lifting up of the name to glory. And if you hear me speaking like that, you may think to yourself, wow, I better really try hard tomorrow to do that. No. This is not something we can try really hard to do. This is not something that we have to think, well, I should really work harder at this. That's not how it works. This is simply who we are in Christ. This is simply what we do when the power of the Spirit lives in us. We bear the name. We carry the name. We lift up the name. We love the name. We suffer for the name. We take refuge in the name. We confess the name. And we do all in the name. And so, let's be who we are. Let's be who God made us to be. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. And let's say with the psalmist, the Lord I will extol, at all times bless his holy name. I will not cease to sing his praise, his goodness I proclaim. I glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear my voice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, with me. In him rejoice. The angel of the Lord always encamps around all those who fear him and exalt his name. God saves them from their woes. Oh, come then, taste and see that he, the Lord, is good and just. Blessed is the man who turns to him and puts in him his trust. Amen.